Our Father, we pray that you will abundantly supply. You said, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches by Christ Jesus. We're asking you, Father, to supply the needs of our brothers and sisters and those throughout the world that are struggling economically, uh, can't pay the rent, don't uh, know if they can pay the car payment, losing homes. They sure cannot give, Lord, when they're on the edge. Uh, people willing to work, people with skills, but uh, you know this market, you know this downturn, and we just ask you to supply each of them with employment. Supply the needs of this church, Lord, economically as uh, offerings can be less during these times. If people are not able to give, we're praying your supply so that Christ himself will get the glory. And the church said, amen. Shake hands with somebody you're praying with. Just kind of pat them so glad we could pray together. Are you up close enough? Those of you that are, can you hear me? Okay. I want to take uh, maybe 30 minutes to uh, explain some things about uh, the filling work of the Spirit and what I think... Uh, so we look this morning, spirit filling is the spirit's willingness to fill up what's deficient about you. And character things, he's able to complete you. Uh, he's able to uh, supply what you lack, both for service and in our Christian character that leads us away from sin principle and bears the fruit of the spirit. Now, there's no place that I know of in the New Testament that tells you how to be spirit-filled. Is that not interesting? If you know a verse, I'd like to see it. I don't know. So, I'm going to just put together uh, and think of it this way. Now that you are in Christ, what kind of response, uh, position, and mode does God want you to be taking toward him so that the Spirit is free? The Spirit wants to fill all of us. Now, I think that's, he, want, he knows we need help. And I think the thing we ought to really maybe look out for is what are the negative things we could fall into that would hinder the Spirit's work and cut that off. And so, in doing that, let us try to be normal, as it were, the normal Christian life, I believe, ought to be a spirit-empowered life. That ought to be the norm, right? Because God knows we don't have the power to, to pull off Christianity on any level. So, I'm going to uh, not try to plunge deep on some passages, but to move quick enough to give you a kind of a panorama of maybe uh, uh, it'd be this way. Ask and see what elephants are standing on your air hose? And if we can get the elephants off the air hose, maybe we get some oxygen to you, okay? So, we'll be dealing with elephants, all right? 
And we're not talking about your mother-in-law. We're not, we're not into that. You know, behind every successful man stands a surprised mother-in-law. So, uh, you know, so let's... Uh, uh, I think a classic passage is Romans 6. And why Romans 6? It's this way. Because in Romans 5, he says, we have now been identified with a new man, Christ, not Adam. And in that new identification, he says that he goes to chapter 6. He says, in our new man with Christ, we've been identified with him. And he says something, and let me give you a little Greek grammar lesson. They have what is known as the indicative mood. They have imperative mood, a subjunctive mood. An indicative mood in Greek grammar simply says the mood of reality. If something's said in the indicative, that means it's stated as a fact. If it's an imperative, it's a potential. If you do it, it will happen. In chapter 6, 1 through 10, tells you the indicatives. These things are true of you in Christ. Watch this. Uh, shall we sin uh, that we're under grace? By no means. We died to sin. You see that? Past tense. We. Who would that be? Us. And he says that as a fact. He doesn't say die to sin. It's not an imperative. You died to sin. Oh, I did? Some of you feel very current with sin. Uh, how can we live in it any longer if we die? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, there's two kinds of baptisms, uh, ritual and real. Now, real baptism is the Spirit of God that placed you in Christ so that every time you hear the phrase, in Jesus, in Christ, the agent that put you there was by one Spirit, we were baptized into Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Okay, now what we want to celebrate in ritual baptism, and we have several of you we hope to baptize next month, when we baptize people in water, we ought to be celebrating and acknowledging this person has been united to Christ by faith. When they put faith in Christ, the Spirit put them in the body, and we're just acknowledging publicly, I'm united to Christ now. But notice what true baptism does. It immerses you into Christ's death. We were buried with him through baptism into death. The water didn't accomplish this. The Spirit put us in Christ, and we get credit for what Christ did, just like we got credit for what Adam did. Adam sinned, and so we died because we're identified with him. That's not fair. No, it's not. But if you get rid of that and you come to Romans 6, it's not fair that you ought to get credit for what Christ did. So don't undo chapter 5. Leave it like it is. People die because they're identified with Christ. He represented them. Chapter 6, I get credit for what my new Adam represents. He represented his people, me. So I get credit for having died with him, buried with him, raised with him. These are stated as facts. 
Now, most believers don't know these things, I don't think. Uh, if you ask a Christian, hey, did you know you died with Christ? What? Did I? So what? I was buried with him. I was raised with him. What's the big deal? Watch what he says. And you've been raised from the dead through the glory of the Father. We, too, may live a new life. Now, there's two kinds of life God gives Christians. He gives you eternal life. That's Christ comes in you. This is resurrection life, that you now are on the other side of the grave in God's mind, and he sees you now living out the resurrected life joined to Christ. You're living out a resurrected kind of life, new kind of life. You never lived this way before. I'm living like a corpse that's been raised from the dead, and I'm living for God this side of the grave. So I'm living the resurrected life. I'm on this side of Calvary, this side of the grave. I've been raised with Christ. I'm living a heavenly kind of life in a hellish world. Okay? He keeps on. Since we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Absolutely. Now he's going to the future. There's more things we're going to get because we've been united. We're going to be raised from the dead like he was. For we know that our old self, it ought to be old man, was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be rendered inoperative, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. State it as a fact. This is something you make happen. He sees you this way, indicative. He, this is your history as a believer. Did you not know that your body of sin is an instrument of sin ended with your identity with Christ. Christians sin not as a norm. It's the exception to the new life. We still have sin principle, but you died to that with Christ. I've died with Christ. Now, what does that mean? That is a great thing. If I've died with Christ, I will never in the future die for any sin I commit because I've already died. God already put the sin of you and I that are in Christ, on Christ. So, if someone came up to you and said, well, you know what, you're going to die for that, you could say, I already did. I died with Christ. What, what do we do with believers that commit suicide? Did they go to heaven? Why wouldn't they? He died for every other sin. How many of your sins did he pay for? You mean the ones you, I could do up five minutes before I die? Yeah. Yeah. So if you go home tonight and have a spat with your wife and you die on the highway, huh? Enjoy the spat. I think you'll still be in heaven. He even paid for the spat. But don't go out of here and have a spat. You know, don't misread me here. Okay, now, watch this. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. All right, God, why are you telling me all this stuff? What do you want me to do? Now, response time. Now he's going to tell you what to do. Watch. Just about two things. 
In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Start acting like you're dead to sin in your mind. I'm not available. I'm a corpse to sin. When sin wants to use my body, start counting on it that if I may identify with Christ having already died, I should have that mental attitude. Two, I should act alive to God the Father. What does that mean? Uh, I am carrying on as though I'm living my life in the third heaven, because remember, I'm living a resurrected life. And so I'm living my life before the throne, and so I'm acting alive. The God I used to be dead to in sins, I was alienated from. He wasn't my father. I hated him. We were enemies in our mind towards God. I act alive. I act alive. Have you ever said drop dead to someone you love? You know, drop dead. That's the way some Christian lives can be. You can be acting like a dead person to God. You quit communicating. You're not in a relationship. Uh, and God says, I want you to act alive towards me. You're in Christ. We can have fellowship. Act alive. And then he says right here, therefore, do not let sin reign. Notice that. You make a decision. Don't let it reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Say no to sin. I I want to empower you to do that. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. You have to do this. You have to make yourself available. Offer your body, and I think you need to do this daily. This ought to be a daily exercise. Reporting for duty, Lord. You got my body. If you want to do anything today in the world, you can use my body. You want to encourage somebody? You got me. If you want someone to pray, you've got me. I am available. My body is yours. It's a living relationship. Since I am yours and I'm identified, three things I do. I'm counting myself to no longer be available to sin. I've done enough sin. Two, I'm going to act like I know you by acting alive towards you. No cold shoulders for me. I'm going to stay in communion. And three, you got me. And that is the thing that results in Christian service, that your body becomes an instrument of God. And the rest of the chapter says, describes, if your body's available, he's going to bear fruit, He's going to produce a life of holiness. So I think the big thing you've got to ask, uh, I want the Spirit to fill me. Fill me to do what? My own thing? Fill me to do my thing? Or fill me to do the will of God for my life? What does God want to do with this saved body? What does he want to do? Are you available in your mind? Are you an egomaniac and you're your own God? Everything's for you. That, there's the Spirit of God is shut down. You've got to become, in your heart, do you want to be a divine instrument of God in response to Calvary, purchasing you, letting you be identified with his death and resurrection? So, he says, I want you to make yourself available. He says, secondly, in Ephesians 4.30, an alarming verse, uh, I, it it's really a, it's a disturbing verse. 
when he says in verse 30, stop grieving the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Uh, grieving God, what is that? Uh, how can you grieve God? Well, he said the generation in the wilderness in Hebrews 3, that whole generation grieved me so that I marched them to death. Everyone 20 years of age and older he killed because of their grumbling, their unbelief, their constant. He said, 10 times you tested me. 10 times you just spurned me, spurned me. And so God says, I was grieved with that generation. And so you'd have to know that the Holy Spirit naturally wants to be infusing power and providing energy in you until something, and in the context, it was sin. They were sinning in many ways. Until the Spirit is made to sorrow in you. That word grieve there, he's made to sorrow. And uh, that's when you know if you get out of line and your attitude whatever, a sin, you know when the Spirit of God starts shutting down in you and that grieving process starts. And he starts working on you to change your attitude, change what you said maybe. Uh, he said this of Israel in Isaiah 63. I, I, I dealt with you, but you grieved my spirit. The Holy One was in your midst, but you grieved me. You grieved me. James said it this way. You are adulteresses. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Don't you know that the spirit he has made to dwell in you jealously yearns in you to have full sway over your life? Why are you loving something else? And he threw in the term adulteress. Why? Your worldliness is idolatry, and idolatry from Ezekiel 16, from Hosea, from the prophets. It is spiritual prostitution and adultery. You're giving your best love, your best focus. You're giving to the things of friendship of this world, and the Spirit in you, he is, he's grieving, and he's yearning in you to the point of jealousy, because you were saved for God alone. And he doesn't want you sleeping with this world. You're in it, but you're not of it. We can use it, but we're not to love it. Don't you know that friendship with the world, the love, he who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 1 John 2, 15. And if you're loving this world, I don't, what's the world? It's not the cosmos. It's not talking about the universe. It's talking about the things that run the world. Who's called the God of this age? Satan. And he controls us through external things like a hand in a puppet. He makes us fall in love with career. We fall in love with money. Now, we need a career. We need a job. We need money. But we don't want to turn it into our God, that our self-worth, that our significance is tied up. He said, you become adulteresses. And he's writing to a church that don't grieve the Spirit. Don't divide your heart. You know, I, I long, we were just talking at a deacon elder meeting yesterday. Uh, we're looking for some more elders in this church. And you know what? It's not only men that have ability, but you have to have men with availability. 
And this world is designed to keep all the saints wore out and consumed pursuing this world's uh, agenda. And when it comes to the church, all we get is tired saints. Well, I love the Lord. I'm just tired. I've given my best out here, uh, you know, legitimately. And we keep looking for men and women in the church. Can you serve? I, I, I love to. I'm wore out. I'm not hitting on anybody. That's just the way it is. Are you available? Lord, use me in whatever sphere you can, and don't let me grieve the Spirit. I think uh, the hardest lessons you remember as a kid is when you did that which grieved your folks. You know, don't shame us. Don't, don't embarrass us. It's really something, if you had a loving relationship, you didn't want to disappoint and grieve. So, you got to ask yourself, is there anything in my life that is grieving the Spirit now so that he's not free to use me, that there's an elephant on the air hose? I just, uh, uh, because Jesus said if you lose contact with the vine, you'll dry up and be a branch that will be just cut off. You just, you've got to stay in contact. Don't let anything step on your air hose. Keep that flow free. Then he uses uh, a phrase in 1 Thessalonians, and I'll try to move quickly. Uh, 1 Thessalonians, he tells them something, to be thankful in everything in 5.18. Be joyful in verse 16. Isn't that, aren't these impossible verses? Be joyful when you get a raise. Oh, no, what does yours say? Oh, always. You, even when I'm out of work? Well, be joyful always. Now, come on, let's be honest. Are you joyful always? You know, if you are, notify your face. <laughs> I mean, I'd hate to think this crowd's all joyful. Howie Hendricks used to say, some Christian's face looked like the introduction to the book of Lamentations. <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, if you've got it, show it. We could use some. Pray over your food. What does yours say? I don't like prayer meetings. I, I don't know how to pray. I'm not into prayer. I'm not into, you're not into God? You're not into God, you're saying. Because you, prayer is talking to God, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm just not into it. I, got a lot, I love Bible. I'm all into knowledge, but praying is so hard. Oh, oh, okay. Well, we know where you are. Give thanks if things go your way. I, I, I'm reading a perverted version. Give thanks in all. Sorry. For this is, wait, you want to do the will of God? Start giving thanks. Start giving thanks right where you are. But wait, wait, this is for in all things. And then Ephesians says for all things. So when should you be thankful? 
Man, this is convicting. Then watch this. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Come on. Holy Spirit, he's an unquenchable fire. Didn't say so. He said he can be quenched. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. The old King James is quench. Don't quench the Spirit. That's not squinch. That's quench. Don't quench the Spirit. Uh, and the idea is throwing water on a fire. Don't do anything. And here's an example. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Prophecies that were coming from God, they were despising. Treat it with contempt. Don't do anything to um, put out the fire of the Spirit in you. He told Timothy, fan into full flame the spiritual, spiritual gift that God put in. Fan it into full flame. <laughs> Hope that fire takes, it needs oxygen. Take off. And here he says, stop quenching the Spirit. Stop throwing things on the Spirit, saying no to him. I want to use you. No, you can't. I'm not able. I can't speak. I can't. I can't. If God says you can, you can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? We can't be run on all of your excuses. We wouldn't have any church. God is enabling somebody to do something. So if he enables brother so-and-so, what's your problem? Same power. Are you available? Do you want it? See, that's the thing. Are you going to just keep stuffing, just pushing it down, pushing it down? You know, I think of quenching uh, of what the Spirit of God even does in meetings. I, I think of two meetings uh, where co there's congregational quenching of the Spirit that was outrageous. How, how meetings go. You know, we, we struggle uh, in this church to know uh, what we can do and can't. We're a very emotive, conservative church. I mean, we, we sing a lot, and uh, we get to raise our hands, and, and some of you think we're right on the edge. Any moment, we're going to jump a pew. You know, you're, you're nervous. You're nervous. Because conservative church, you don't get to do this much. You've got to get one of those wild groups and they're not too wild anymore. They're getting old. You can't jump as much. Uh, but, you know, you, what can we do? And, uh, and, and, and I've had people, I, I get nervous with that. Like even we pray sometimes in communion small. I get nervous. Why? Because you don't pray? That's not biblical? What can you do in a meeting? That was the hardest thing when I first started this church because I'd come from tongues, meetings, and, man, we could do anything. And then I come over here, and I'm teaching the Bible, and I've changed my view on some gifts. And I think, well, what, does that mean we're locked in for boredom? At least in the other meeting, you may not have learned much, but boy, you stay awake. <laughs> Man, in a conservative church, you stay good to stay awake. I, I mean it. I used to go to a church. I was going to school one place. My biggest, my biggest battle every Sunday morning, stay awake. Preacher, as soon as he opened the Bible, ether came off the pages. 
I mean, it, it, it was a torture hour. It, it was torture. Let us look at the Word. I thought, man, I'm sleepy. I'm going to get over with a jump in some pews. At least I'll be awake. Well, you get this struggle. What can you do? Let me tell you some things we've got to be aware of. And we need, you know, if you don't want the Spirit of God to move in our services, He won't. I said, he won't. He's, uh, he's like a dove. My dad, good country boy, he said, I never saw doves stay in a tree where coon dogs were fighting below. He, he, he hangs out where people want him. You actually pray for his presence to be felt. You pray for the divine presence to, let's be aware that there's something done. Did you know in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, we expect unsaved people to come to the meeting, and when they come, we expect for them to say, God is in your midst. Have you ever read that? 1 Corinthians 14. Yeah, oh, let's look at that. Then I'll, I want to explain this quench. Then I'll, I'll just close, because I want to hear some questions. But look at chapter 14. If I can lay my hand. Yes, uh, he's describing tongues and prophecy and having order in the meeting. And he says, verse 24, but if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all. This is an unbeliever. Now, did you hear that? He'll be convinced he is a what? And, and we got a lot of guys say never mention sin on Sunday. You can never remind people of sin because we've got to say, talk about human potential. He said, convince them they're a sinner. If you're never convicted that you're a sinner, you'll never need a Savior. You've got to be convicted. So he said, they'll be convicted, and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. Notice, so he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. The New Testament church expected unbelievers to come, and they expected conviction to happen, and they expected for unbelievers to say, God is in your midst. Now, that's what I want to happen on Sundays here. People to be convicted that don't know the Lord. We don't want to condemn them. We want them to know their problems so they'll be saved, and that they'll fall down and acknowledge Jesus Christ. Let me tell you just two examples of grieving and quenching in a corporate sense. One, uh, I, one happened at Valley. Another happened when David and I, uh, we went to a meeting in Northern California. A bunch of churches came together, a men's conference, and I was to preach this conference. And uh, David went with me. We uh, was there one day. Then we stayed overnight. And, uh, uh, of course, you want God to work in these guys' hearts. You want the Spirit of God to move, and we want men to be transformed, right? Well, that night, uh, I preach, and the Spirit of God, if I, and David was there too, we both sensed the Spirit of God was speaking, working powerfully, and hearts were touched, men were reflecting on their lives. Uh, and as time went on, 
I knew the man that was leading the meeting, so it was their meeting. So I bring it to a close, call them to decision. I had the meeting back to this pastor friend of mine. And just like this, it went like this. Uh, the meetings, I mean, and they prayed, we prayed, and everything, so okay. You know, do business with God in your heart and everything. Been a great time for us all to pray together or something, but it's, this is the way it happened. Ping pong tournament was started in five minutes, and uh, the pie and coffee's in the back. We'll see you there. And Dave and I looked at each other. They had me come up to advertise a ping-pong tournament. They need a ping-pong tournament. You talk about throwing water on a meeting. We just went back as usual. No, no life transforming things. See, I used to go to meetings like that. I couldn't eat. I'd have to go to my room or up front at an altar and settle what the Spirit of God had convicted me of. Anybody ever do that? Well, the Spirit, you had to do business with God. Listen, now, I could eat pie anytime. I could play ping pong. This is a work of God. And they, they quenched it because they didn't know what to do with it. So they just throw water in the meeting. Let's get back. Whew, let's shake that off. We can't have this kind of emotion. It was more than emotion. It was the Spirit of God wooing men's hearts. He wanted to shape them, mold them, change them. I remember a Sunday morning, one of the most grievous things I've ever seen happen in this church. I just read Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Jim Cimbala, calling you to a life of prayer. And uh, the moving story he tells of a Tuesday night prayer meeting where a spirit of travail went over that church and a woman got up and says, uh, we got to pray for Pastor Cimbala's daughter. I have a burden. She's in trouble. we got to pray. So at Brooklyn Tab, they have this huge prayer meeting. They all pray. Uh, Jim and Carol were now able to pray. This girl had left home, living on the street. She was out, she was out there. They didn't know where she was. But they, they were at the end of themselves. <clears throat> it's really uh, the devil loves to get our children, makes us look like frauds. You know, he likes to get your kids. He wants to get your grandchildren and say, and the devil laughs at us, say, if you know God so well, why isn't it impacting your kids? Do you think the devil likes that trick on us? And so, um, Jim was under all kinds of pressure, and he and Carol had not seen the girl for days, months. Had this prayer meeting on Tuesday night. The next morning, he's shaving. Doing this, and all of a sudden, Carol says, Jim, Jim, come downstairs. He's shaving. Again, Jim, come downstairs. When he comes downstairs, his girl falls at his feet, weeping convulsively. I'm sorry, Daddy. I'm sorry. What were you doing last night? What do you mean? What were you doing around 8 o'clock? Honey, the church was in a spirit of travail over your soul. That's what we were doing. 
She said, well, the Spirit of God got a hold of me. I've come home. Now I'm married to a pastor and pastors up in Michigan. And I told that story on a Sunday morning because I was so moved by it. And a spirit of uh, prayer went over the church. We literally got on our knees, and, and white folks and white churches don't do much of that. Not the ones I go to. You got to have a little gray hair. You got to go back a bit. And I said, let's just get on our knees and pray. And we had a man in that church begin to wail. He was dying. He was going through great crises. He prayed a little too loud. Matter of fact, he didn't pray. He wept. He wept, and people could hear him. Had a man look me up that week, and he said, if that happens anymore, I'm leaving the church. And I said, and why? He said, I'm not a Pentecostal. I said, you think that's Pentecostal? I said, you don't think the Spirit of God was moving through that congregation to pray? You mean you, you would quench the Spirit? You, that's what you're against? And guess what? We need the Spirit of God to come over a congregation once in a while and break us, give us a spirit of travail. We're living in a hellish world. Kids are on drugs and strung out. You know what the Bay Area's challenges are. Oh, we've got grandchildren in trouble. We've got children out there. I know people, their grandchildren are breaking their heart. Their children, on and on. If we just had some family revivals, would it not be wonderful that God just swept through, saved my family, saved my family? Well, I think God wants us to be a Holy Ghost church. We're praying for it. Well, we pray about it. We're not just exegetists. Uh, you know, I've been preaching here 39 years. You could wear out listening to all the tapes I've done. Don't, don't even want to tell me, well, you, you don't give the word. Friend, you'll choke on all the sermons I've given. But we need the Spirit of God to quicken the word and make it alive in us so it's not information alone. Unless the Spirit quickens this book, it's dead. It's, just, it's really alive, but you're dead. You won't get it unless the Spirit quickens your heart and makes it come alive. That's more than mere information. Amen. Romans 6 changed my brother's life. Could never quit smoking, could never live the Christian life. One night, the Spirit of God on a Thursday night made Romans 6 come alive. The next morning, he walked away from tobacco and a defeated Christian life. And 39 years later, he's still in this church. I tell you, when the Word is made alive by the Spirit... It changes lives. So we want to be people that say, we don't want to grieve you, Spirit. We don't want to quench you. And we want to act alive. We pray, give us the Spirit. Give us the, in a greater degree. We've got, he's indwelling. I'm already indwelt. Nobody in this place got more of the Spirit than I got. We all got the equal amount. But it's him having more of us in greater degrees. Um, I have to say, I'm hard on these guys uh, that preach in the church. In a way, I'm really not. But the mystic in me is this. Even if you've got three good points, a good intro, and a good conclusion, I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for when the Spirit makes a difference. I'm looking for that. When the Spirit, because you can just get up, I, I want to preach. Okay, we heard, okay, we heard a few Hebrew words. We thought they were Hebrew. We don't know. It could have been, you know. Polish. 
but at least you said it was Hebrew. And, and so, you know, and, and we all get impressed with all academic information. But I watch, I've seen young men that grow up in this church. I say this, I went to Steve Fernandez when he first was preaching this church. He was a nervous wreck every time he took the pulpit. He, he was nervous because, man, he had his peers there, and he, he's breaking in, and I'd been preaching for years. And it, it, it was just, these guys, it takes courage just to get up. It takes courage. And so he would be just like a wreck. He'd be crying before he read the text. Said, well, man, the Spirit of God couldn't show us that. He's a wreck. He just hasn't declared it yet. And all that, had all those nervous years, went about one, two, three years. And after about three years being with me as an associate, Carol and I went up to Northern California where Dave Smith was our youth pastor, and they were doing a youth camp up there. When I pulled on the campus, I'm telling you, Dave Kadenji comes up to me first. Kadenji said, Phil, I can't explain it. Steve's a new man. I, I can't, I, I've never heard him like this. Then I see Dave Smith. What is it? Something's come over. Something's happened. Then I mean, well, I'm trying to get in the campground. I'm going there for this youth. And one person, we can't explain it. They, they'd done drugs with him. They'd gotten drunk with him. Uh, they'd partied with him in the unsaved days. Then they got saved, and he's just ordinary. All of a sudden, the extraordinary kicked in. And I tell you, I think this is what I want to say. You can be ordinary, but God would like to do something extraordinary. And if we will not quench the Spirit, and if we won't be lazy by saying, do in our meetings what uh, we haven't even begun to comprehend, I don't know why we don't bust out and go another thousand. If we're just seeing hell, destined sinners getting saved, that would mind. I, I don't think God would mind that, but he wants to use you. An alive church, they don't want to come to a dead place. Don't put live chicks under a dead hen. I want to be a live hen. You get it? Is that a little deep for you? <laughs> you, you don't put live chicks under a dead hen. So uh, I want the brothers uh, to prepare. We're going to prepare our hearts to take communion. And uh, we're going to be led into worship by Revelation 5, and then we're going to go into Hallelujah, Praise the Lamb. And uh, you brothers come up. Our choir is coming up. Yes, we will. Man, it's a little scary. I thought everybody's leaving. <laughs> By the way, thank you, everyone that came tonight. This is special. And I want this to grow. Uh, uh, have you been bored so far? No. Lie to me a little. Say no. Yeah. Is it worth? We'll let you out of here probably by 8 o'clock, and you can run home, watch another two hours of TV. No, no. This is one of the best investments. You know, when you want to be filled with the Spirit, you can't be with His people enough. We're in last days. I want to be around people that love His name, that love His name.